Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Good morning. You may have a seat. Have a seat. Hey, I'm so stoked to be here today. Um, as, as Pastor Jason said, my name is Philip Pattison, and I'm with Foster the Bay. We're coming from San Jose this morning, me and my crew. i got four kids here with me. My wife flew out of San Jose Airport this morning, and so um, I've got kids everywhere. Um, so you'll see them all running around. But we're so stoked to be here today, and as, as Pastor Jason said, um, I'm stoked to be able to share a message with you today that I think is really near to the heart of God. And because it's near to the heart of God, I know it's near to the heart of, of your leadership into this church. Um, today I want to have a, a talk, uh, I want to I share a talk with you that I'll, I'll call remarkable compassion. Okay, remarkable compassion. And just so we're on the same page right out the gate, let me tell you what I mean when I say that. Okay, so compassion, if you, if you look at that word and you break it down, passion means to suffer. Calm, C-O-M, means with. To suffer with. That's what compassion means. Did you know that? Compassion means to stand by, to stand with, to stand for someone who is suffering. And again, as we know, that this is something that's really near to the heart of God. Uh, all throughout the scriptures, it's very, very clear. God loves every person on this planet, right? Every person in San Francisco, across the Bay Area, God loves every person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Again, there's, a, there's a verse in scripture that says that God wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance and find eternal life, right? God loves the, the world. And yet, if you open up the scriptures, if you look at the Bible and you look from Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end, you're going to see that there are some people in the world that seem to make the top of God's list. Right? There are some people that seem to have a special place in God's heart. You see it all over the scriptures. It's the orphan, it's the widow, and it's the alien. It's a sojourner. It's the immigrant. The orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. So in other words, those who are without a home, those who are far from family, those who have suffered deep loss, those who are without protection, those who are vulnerable, those who are, have been marginalized and oppressed. You can see it all throughout scriptures. They have a, have, a, have a special place in God's heart. Can we look together? Psalm 86. We have that up here? If not, no worries at all. I can try to paraphrase. I didn't bring up my notes here with me today. No worries at all. It's, it's, but you, Psalm 86, you can open it up on your phone. You can open it up on your iPad. It basically says, rescue the weak and the oppressed. Defend the fatherless. Literally, that's one. I could honestly point you to dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures all throughout the Bible. They make it absolutely clear what God's heart is towards the, the vulnerable and the oppressed. And because that is a defining characteristic of who God is, he is a God of compassion. That has been a defining characteristic of God's people since the beginning. In fact, did you know that the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the church? Did you know that? The first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by followers of Jesus. If you look at education reform and prison reform, uh, women's rights, the abolition of slavery, of course, civil rights, they all trace their roots back to followers of Jesus. The same is true with adoption. We, we actually have historical records, like written accounts Actually, many, many written accounts of, of, of the way that the followers of Jesus have done this. We have written records of like an early Roman practice. When a child would be born into a Roman family, what would often happen is they would do this ritual where they'd place the baby at the feet of, of, the, of the father. And if the dad stooped down and picked up the child in his arms in this ritual, the child was said like to have been legitimized, welcomed into the family, which is beautiful. The, the problem is sometimes the dad didn't stoop down and pick up the kid. For whatever reason, if the child wasn't the preferred gender of the day, 
if the child looked sick or frail, if the child was weak, if for whatever reason they, the, the father didn't stoop down and pick up the kid, instead what would happen is they would take this child outside of the city to this designated place where it would be left alone to die, or they would leave it out on the sides of the road outside of the city. They called it infant exposure. It was a totally common, acceptable practice at the time. But it was early followers of Jesus that reversed the practice. They would go out to these designated places on a regular basis, or they would walk the street, like this, the, the roads outside of the city at night, listening for the cries of children, listening for the cries of babies, and they would rescue these kids, and they would bring them back into their own homes, and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. That, that's, that's the history of God's people. That's our legacy as the church. Isn't that cool? Yes. The same is true with foster care, though. Let me tell you about a guy named Charles Brace. Um, Charles uh, Loring Brace was born in the northeastern part of the U.S. in the 1800s. He was uh, born into a family. They followed Jesus. At a young age, he placed his faith in Christ. And, and one day, he was sitting in, in church, just like you are today. And he was a teenager and listening to a message from a pastor, just like you are today. And the pastor said something that just radically changed his life, just like I did with you today. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> seeing if you're paying attention. All right. Uh, the, pa- the pastor basically said some, something that became like this defining moment in his life. This is basically what the pastor said. I'm going to paraphrase. He said, you know, when we, when we stop and think about it, if you stop and think about all of the ways that God has shown his love and his compassion and his grace and his mercy to you in your time of need, when we think about all of the mercy that he's poured out onto us in our moments of need, when we see those in need around us, it's impossible for us to believe that we don't have at least some level of responsibility to do something. It just, it made sense to Charles as a teenager. So a few years went by. He went to New York City. He was in Bible school. He was studying to become a pastor. And one day he went for a walk through New York City and he walked into a neighborhood called Five Points. Have you heard of the neighborhood Five Points? It's because you've seen gangs in New York, isn't it? You, can you admit that here? Is that all right? Um, <laughs> Five Points was a neighborhood at the time that was known for its crime and its poverty, its prostitution, its gang violence. And he said that when he walked into that neighborhood that his heart just melted because what he saw in front of him were hundreds of kids living in these really unhealthy, unstable environments. And he said that when he walked into the neighborhood and saw what he saw that day, his mind raced back to what his pastor had said those years before. And he realized in light of all that God had done for him and the ways that God had met him in his moments of need, he had to do something. He had some level of responsibility to do something with what he saw in front of him. And so he did. At the age of 27, Charles got some of his buddies together and they started a movement. They called it the Children's Aid Society, which, by the way, they're still going on today, 150 years later. The Children's Aid Society started all kinds of programs that dealt like at a systemic root level with what they were seeing in front of them in Five Points. And so, for example, they started their first free school lunch programs. They started the first uh, free dental clinics for kids. They started schools for children who were disabled. They started the first ever uh, Parent Teachers Association. PTA came from Children's Aid Society. But most notably, they started what we call foster care. They would help these kids who were living in these really like unstable, unhealthy environments find a place of stability and security while their parents did what they needed to do to create healthy environments again. And when they did, the families were reconciled back together. They were reunified back together. What morphed and evolved from there became what we now call in America the modern foster care system. 
So listen, foster care was started by a Christian. It was started by a follower of Jesus who understood that in light of all that God has done for us in our moments of need, surely, surely we can do the same for those around us. Isn't that cool? I love that. Like, that's our legacy as God's people. What I'm stoked about is that I I get to be here to be able to, to share with you that we have the opportunity to carry on that same torch, to carry on that same legacy in our generation in the Bay Area today. Do you believe that? About five years ago, my wife and I started fostering. Uh, we started welcoming these kids into our home. If you're not that familiar with foster care, um, kids are some, sometimes need to be placed into the foster care system just due to some you know, act of trauma. More often than not, it's abuse or neglect. And so these kids that were coming into our homes, that's honestly just really broke our hearts. Um, these kids had been through stuff that uh, nobody should have to go through. Nobody should have to experience, especially children. And it broke our hearts. And at the time, I was pastoring a, a church in San Jose. Um, so as we were going through this journey, we just said, man, uh, church community, like, do you want to join us? Like, what if as a whole church community, about 100 of us, so, so what about like the 100 of us or so, what if we all get engaged in some way? What if we, as, as a community, move forward and we try to find ways to, to engage what I believed was the most vulnerable population in the Bay Area, which was kids who'd experienced trauma, who were who, who without homes. And so we... Um, we came up with all these ways we were going to do that. Let me tell you what happened. Some social workers heard about what we were trying to do, and they came out and met with us. And they said, hey, we heard what, what your church is trying to do. We're, we're, we're happy to work with you guys. We're happy to partner with you in this. We think this is cool. But they said, here's the reality. They said, the crisis that we're experiencing right now in the foster care system in the Bay Area, honestly, it's just a little bit bigger than your church. She said, do you think that there might be other churches that might want to do the very same thing? She said, is there any way that you guys would consider helping us to create a faith alliance? She called it. And I said, well, what does that mean? Like, what's a faith alliance? And she said, well, here's the bottom line. She said, there are more children entering into foster care than we have homes that are ready for them. More kids who have experienced abuse or neglect than we have homes that are ready to care for them. And so what's happening is, now, because of what they've gone through, they're not only having to be removed from their biological families, but now they're having to be taken to other parts of California to find homes for these kids. So they're being taken from their schools and their therapists and their teachers and their friends and their extended family and everything that is safe and stable and familiar to them. And it's adding trauma upon trauma upon trauma simply because families haven't stepped forward to care for the kids in their neighborhoods. That broke our heart, as I know it as you. Um, it's not that the church doesn't care, it's that we don't know. We don't know what's happening. And so we came back and we had these conversations with the social worker. We told him, we said, gosh, the truest part of who we are is we're followers of Jesus. There's a lot of other things you could say about us, but we're followers of Jesus. At least part of what that means is we take seriously the things that he calls us to, the things that he, that he teaches us. And one of his most fundamental commands to us was to love our neighbor. And what broke our heart was that these kids, these vulnerable children, some other person in some other part of California is having to love my neighbor. There's something broken about that, isn't there? And so so we said yes, and we, we started this faith alliance, as she called it, and that's what we call Foster the Bay. We started Foster Bay about four and a half years ago. And friends, I'll tell you, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way that the Bay Area Church has responded to that invitation from, from the, the, these county officials. It has been unbelievable. And guys, I'm not just talking down in San Jose, where, where I'm coming from. Like that need, that crisis that she talked about, it, 
it's, it's all across the Bay Area. In fact, it's more true here in San Francisco than any other place in the Bay Area. As you can imagine, 62% of children that enter into foster care in the city, here in San Francisco, get sent out of the city because of a lack of homes. 62%, that's three out of five children. But, but San Francisco, the San Francisco county officials, the ones who are involved in the child welfare system, they are so open to working with the faith community. They, they told me, and I, I'm quoting them here, they told me, they said, the missing, the critical missing component to our work in child welfare has been the faith community. They want to work with the church. They want to work with you. There's an open invitation for you to get involved and, and to partner with the, the city of San Francisco to care for our most vulnerable neighbors. Isn't that awesome? Um, and it's been so fun to see the way that the Bay Area Church has responded. We started with just a handful of churches in, in San Jose uh, about four years ago. And today there's over 100 churches working together. Arms, you know, linked as we move forward in this. And I'm so stoked that Sozo's a part of that. I want to honor you and honor your leadership for, it's not often, I, I've been a pastor. There's almost nothing that anybody could do to me to, to actually like allow, uh, to, for me to give them an, an opportunity to get on a platform like this. But, but your leadership deeply cares about your, your community, as I know you do. And so I want to honor you guys for opening up this platform and opening up your ministries to be able to do this. Um, hey, when we started Foster the Bay, we started with a few core principles, like a few core beliefs that were really going to shape who we were and how we move forward. And I want to share those three core beliefs with you, as I believe that as each one of us are kind of moving forward in our lives of, of compassion towards others, these can be the foundation for you. But let me say this. Foster care is one expression of remarkable compassion. It's one. Um, not everybody's called to foster care. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are, however, called to remarkable compassion. That's not up for debate. That's scripture. That's, part, that's what it means to follow Jesus because Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion, didn't he? But foster care is only one expression of that. Okay? There are many, many expressions to which God might be calling you. Regardless of what expression it is, I believe these three core beliefs can really help to shape and, and to propel you forward. Okay? So here, here are the three core beliefs. The first one is this. Uh, that every person has intrinsic value. Every person you pass in the street today, every person that, that, you, that you encounter in your workplace, in your schools, every person is, is, is valuable to God. Every person matters to God. In the book of Genesis, it says that we were created in the image of God. God's fingerprint, his thumbprint is on your life, is on the life of every person you pass by, okay? Every person has intrinsic value. The book of Ephesians says that God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a minute. That means that that, um, that moment that your mom and your dad came together and, and put you into being, you were, the moment you were conceived, I'll leave it at that. We got little ears in the room. It's disgusting to think about, but that moment when your mom and dad came together, that moment was secondary for you. What came first for you was that you were birthed in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. That's true for you. That's true for every person in San Francisco. That's true for every vulnerable child. They matter to God. The book of Isaiah says that we are precious to God in his sight. I have a buddy who uh, is a foster dad. He said he got a call for a placement once. And uh, he already had kids in the home. And so he's like, well, can you tell me a little bit more about this child before I say yes and welcome him into my home? I want to make sure that he's going to be like an appropriate fit for my family. And so they said, well, we don't know a whole lot about him yet. Um, they said, we know one thing. We know he's a biter. 
<laughs> and my buddy's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what does he bite? Uh, and, and he said, I'm not sure that, like, I want to take in a biter. He said, as soon as that thought hit him, though, all of his theology started flooding back into his mind. And he said, and I realized that the term biter is an inadequate description of a child. The term biter is an incomplete description of a human being. You know why? Because you're more than the worst thing you've ever done. Friends, listen, you're also more than the worst thing that's been done to you. Which, by the way, you, foster care aside, you might be here just to, you might have braved the coronavirus and all the rest of it to get here just to hear that one thing. You might need to be reminded of that. So I'm going to say it again. You're more than the worst thing you've ever done, and you're more than the worst thing that's been done to you. You matter to God. You're valuable to God. And, you know, he proved that, didn't he? How, how do you determine the value of something? You determine the value of something by what, by what somebody's willing to pay for it, Right? That's how we know what something's worth. What was God willing to pay for us? God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That brings me to our second core belief. First is that every person has intrinsic value. But the second is that this belief that their story is actually our story. story Their story is my story. I don't know about you, but I can tell you this, like, there have, there have been, I, can, I remember it distinctly, there was a time in my life when I was hurting, and I was beat up, and I was, I, was so, I felt so alone, and I felt like all of, all of the wounds from my past had, had robbed me of any hope for my future. And when I was at my lowest and my darkest place, all hope was gone. God showed up. He came near to me. He didn't keep his distance from me. He came near to me. And he made a way for me to be brought into his family. And he gave me a hope for my future. Is that your story? When I think about what God has done for me, just like Charles Brace does many years ago, when I think about what God has done for me, it just makes me want to do that for somebody else, doesn't it? There's a verse in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 5, we might have it up here. It says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Think about that for a minute. This is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. He decided in advance. This wasn't plan B, plan C, plan D. This was plan A. He decided in advance to adopt you into his family. It's what he wanted to do. And God is not begrudgingly holding the door open for you. It's what he wants to do. If you're here today and you're just exploring who Jesus is and you're like trying to figure out this whole God stuff and maybe he's out there, maybe he's not. And you're, you're here and you've been exploring for a little while and you're thinking, if there is a God, would he even want somebody like me? After all the things that I've done and all the places that I've been, would he even want a man or a woman like me? I hope that you see this. And I hope that you'll receive it. It's what he wants to do. It would bring God great pleasure to bring you into his family today. It would bring him great joy. I, as, a, as a foster dad, I can tell you, like, I read this and I just, I think about our own journey. And, like, I, on a very finite scale, I feel like I get just a little bit of a glimpse of what this means here. 
when, when, when he says that it brings him great pleasure to bring you into his family. Bringing these kids in our home has brought us a ton of pleasure. It's been super fun. Um, one of the kids that I've got here today, in fact, we've been fostering. We've had her for about three years. And um, she is a ball of energy. Um, but she's, got, she's probably one of the funniest kids I've ever met. She's three years old. We got her when she was two months old. Um, she's brought so much joy. I can't tell you much many details about her story because she's still in the system now. I can tell you this, though. Her name means light. And that's what she's been to our family. She has been an absolute joy to our family. I, I love to think that the way that I look at this little girl, this little light in our family, that, that, that's the way that God looks at us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But you know what? When God welcomed us into his family, it, it came with joy, it came with pleasure, but it also came with something else, didn't it? It came with sacrifice. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's joy, but there's also a cross. In the same way, when you and I show remarkable compassion towards others, regardless of the expression, when you and I show remarkable compassion towards others, there will always, always, always be a cost involved. It will always come with sacrifice. Um, when people hear that my wife and I foster, this is oftentimes what we hear in response. They're like, oh, that's so cool that you guys do that. You guys are saints. That's amazing. I could never do that. That's, oftentimes, that's what they'll follow it up with. I could never do it. Isn't that hard? Like the kids that come into your home, all that they've been through, like, isn't it hard? Like, don't they act up a lot? Isn't their behavior? And can I tell you the honest truth? Yeah, oftentimes that, that is the case. Not always, but oftentimes we all act out of our trauma, don't we? We all act out of our trauma. These kids have been through more trauma than you and I want to ever believe. So sometimes in their pain and in their confusion, they act out of that. So yes, sometimes that, those, those, those are challenges. And they also say, well, isn't it hard? Like, what if you get attached to them? Like, they come into your home for months or for years, and like, they become like a part of your family. And then one day they just get picked up and go back to their biological family. You never see them again. Like, isn't that hard? Can I tell you the answer to that? Yes, that's hard. (laughs) Not some cold-hearted robot. That's difficult, right? The first um, placement we got, she was four months old when when she came into our home. We had her for about a year. Beautiful little girl. Uh, She took her first steps in my living room. Her first word was she called me Dada. Called my wife Mama. She became a sister to, to my kids very quickly. We love this little girl. Poured our life into her. But over that year that she was in our home and we were falling in love with her, we were also getting to know her biological parents. And the truth is that her parents had made a lot of mistakes. There was a reason why their little girl was with us. But it's also true that they were doing everything that they possibly could to get their little girl back. They were taking every right step. And so after about a year or so, the judge gave the green light and he said, okay, it's time. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her dad at my front door. My son here told me it was the first time he'd ever seen me cry. Because we wept that day. Of course it hurts. But we don't show compassion because it makes us feel good. Right? Compassion's not about you. We have, we have a buddy uh, who says, he says, you don't foster to get a child for your family. You foster to give your family to a child. Yeah. See the difference? 
That's true with every expression. You don't show compassion to get something for yourself, a good feeling or a pat on the back. You don't show compassion to get something for yourself. You show compassion to give yourself to something. And it is hard. But if we are willing to embrace both the, the joy and the cross, like both, both, both the pleasure and the sacrifice, it's incredible to think about the impact that we could have in these lives and in our city. Um, that, that brings me to our, our third core belief, and that's this. Um, can we throw it up there because I forgot what it is? <laughs> All right. Our investment in the lives of the vulnerable will bring long-term impact. All right. So as you can imagine, kids who grow up without a stable, healthy environment, they're obviously, obviously far more susceptible to all kinds of other issues as they get older, right? So if, for example, the FBI did a study a few years ago that said that 60%, 6-0, of children that were rescued from human trafficking here in the States spent time in the child welfare system, spent time in foster care, 60%. Uh, Half of kids that age out of foster care, if they're not placed into a loving, stable home, half will be unemployed in their 20s. A third will be out on these streets. Uh, half will have a substance addiction. More than half will have PTSD. So, you, In fact, you're twice as likely to have PTSD as a child in foster care than a war veteran that's experienced combat. Twice as likely. And I could, I could just keep going with the stats and from incarceration and teen pregnancy and lack of education and so on. Here, here's my point. Here's what we, we began to realize. Like we need organizations that are addressing those issues that I just listed right when people are in it. We need great groups like A21. And we need, we need, we need IJM that's like busting down doors and rescuing people who are being trafficked. We need, we need groups and churches and individuals in the Tenderloin working with those who are homeless or who are unemployed. We need all of that to continue happening and we need more of that. But what if in addition, what if in addition to all of that, we also go upstream and we care for the kids before they ever enter into those issues? So, what, so think about it. Like, what would statistics in San Francisco and in the Bay Area look like in 15 years if every single kid that entered into foster care today was immediately placed into a loving home? So we'd be not only caring for our vulnerable neighbor right here and now in obedience to Jesus' command, but this is how we're going to see long-term transformation in the Bay Area. So one of our big like, mantras, we say it all the time, it's more than just a little catchy saying, is, that, is this, that the best way to see a transformed Bay Area tomorrow is if we care for vulnerable children today, right? And I believe that God might, this is the reason I'm here, I believe God might be calling some of you to be a part of that. Okay, so we're, I'm going to tell you what a, a couple of uh, quick ways that you can be involved in that, but I do want to invite you to watch this quick video first. Statistically, I'm supposed to be dead, in jail, or homeless. You see, as a foster kid, my odds were already pretty bleak. About 30% of foster kids end up homeless. Less than 3% will go on to earn a college degree, and only about half will be gainfully employed by the time they turn 24. Yet, here I am. Why? All because of Rodney. Let me tell you about Rodney. You see, I spent three years trying to get kicked out of Rodney's foster home. And I'll be honest, I did everything I could think of and I am a fairly creative guy. Uh, my most notable stunt was I opened up a checking account and then I proceeded to write $10,000 worth of bad checks. 
actually got picked up by the police for that little brilliant stunt. But what Rodney did was interesting. I remember after allowing me to spend the night in jail, uh, he bailed me out the next morning and I thought for sure that was gonna be it, that this guy was gonna give up on me. But Rodney sat me down and he said, Josh, you know, you can keep causing problems, but you've got to realize, son, we don't see you as a problem. We actually see you as an opportunity. You see, Rodney didn't see what was on the surface, right? This kid who was being a nuisance, this kid who was a, a troublemaker, or some might even say a lost cause. He saw what I could be. And that moment was my turning point. My turning point from being an inevitable statistic to who I am today, all because of one caring adult. You see, every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. So let me be frank with you. You, watching this video right now, you could be the very reason one of these kids doesn't end up a statistic. Foster the Bay is focused on providing a loving home for every single kid in the foster care system. Now they do this in two ways. Number one, by recruiting foster parents. Maybe that's something you're interested in. And they do this secondly, by recruiting individuals to support these foster parents. Maybe that's something you're interested in. You see, these support teams, they come alongside the foster families as they care for these kids. Because of Rodney, my life was genuinely, drastically, forever changed. And with Foster the Bay's model, all of us can be a Rodney, either as a foster parent or as a member of that support team for the foster parents. Either way you look at it, you could be that Rodney. You could be that one caring adult in a kid's life that forever changes his life. To learn more, check out fosterthebay.org slash get involved. I hope that you would at least have an open mind and an open heart to what the Holy Spirit might be sharing with you today. Would you be open to at least considering whether or not God might be leading you to at least learn a little bit more? Uh, nobody's sending you home with a foster kid today, all right? <laughs> Um, but you know what? We have interest meetings happening all the time around the Bay Area. Would you be willing to, to give an hour or an hour and a half to attend one of these meetings at one of, one of the local churches here in the city just to learn a little bit more? Would you be willing to do that? About an hour and a half or so of your time. Um, perhaps God might be actually leading you to actually open up your home to a child, actually to become a foster parent. I know there's a lot of young people in this room today, and I know that sometimes young people, like they disqualify themselves to say, gosh, I, I'm just too young to do that. How, how could I be a parent? I'm, I'm 20 years old. Um, don't disqualify yourself quite yet. The, the, actually, the fact is, and I don't have a ton of time to go into this, but I'll just simply say there are a lot of kids here in the city and in Oakland and the surrounding areas that have been sexually exploited. Kids that are coming out of trafficking, they're in, back in the foster care system. One of the best things, I'm talking specifically to young women here. One of the best homes that a, that a young girl that's been exploited, one of the best homes and options for them is to go into a single woman's home where there's no man, 
in, in, in the apartment. There's no man in the house. Just somebody who's just a few years ahead of them, but a, a safe place like that. So oftentimes we think it's only the young families that can do this. They've got kids in the home. If you're older here today, don't disqualify yourself quite yet. But there, there are teenagers that, 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 need, that need homes, and you could be an amazing fit for these teenagers. Would you at least be open to that? But for some of you, like, this, this is just not my season of life. Yes, this breaks my heart. I want to be involved in some way, but I know I can't foster right now. I hope you heard what Josh said. There are other ways that you can get involved. One of the reasons why there's, such, there's so few foster homes is because the retention of foster families is really low. Uh, there's a study that just came out last year that said that 60% of foster families won't make it past their first year. Within year one, they're done. Because it's hard. It's hard to go through those things where you have to say goodbye to those kids. And then be able to say, gosh, give me another one. Let's go do that again. <laughs> That's hard. It's hard to do that. Do you know what changes the retention of a foster family? You know what enables a foster family to foster longer and better? Is when they have support around them. Is when they're doing it within the context of community. So here's, here's, let me tell you what a support friend isn't. A support friend isn't somebody, oh, Jason, you guys are going to foster? Cool, call me if you need me sometime. That's not a support friend. I would never hear from him because nobody asks for help. You know what a support friend is? A support friend is somebody who's covenanted themselves to that foster family within the context of their journey. And so they, they support from teams, have a team lead that manages the calendars and keeps everybody accountable and cares for them and makes sure that you're staying committed to that family. My wife and I have been fostering this little girl for three years. We've had the same team of support friends for three years investing in our family. They've come over and they babysat our kids. And they bring meals to us and they pray for us on a regular basis. We have one support friend who sends a cleaner to our house every month. It's awesome. Um, perhaps... You can't foster, but maybe you'd consider supporting a foster family. Maybe you want to see this continue to grow here. The families that step forward here at Sozo, maybe you could help facilitate and lead that ministry here at Sozo. We're looking for that role to this called an advocate. You can, if you're interested in any of these places, any of these, excuse me, any of these roles, I want to encourage you to come back and see me at the next step booths and, and out in the lobby there and just fill out this card. Let us know what time we can drop your foster kid off to your house today. I'm kidding. But if you, fill, if you fill this card out, all we're going to do is we're going to send you an email. Okay? And it's going to give you information about those interest meetings that I was talking about. We'd love to see you at one of those meetings. But hey, let me close with this. As I've said it over and over today. Foster care is not for everybody. Foster care is one expression of remarkable compassion. My, my question to you is this. Am I living a life of remarkable compassion? Would you ask yourself that question? Am I living a life of remarkable compassion? I began the time by telling you what the word compassion means. Let me close by telling you what the word remarkable means. Remarkable means you're able to remark on it. In other words, it's worth talking about. So the question is, am I living a life of compassion that's worth talking about? Because in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So, so they look at the way you're living your life, the way that you're investing your resources and your time and your gifts, the way, the way that you're showing hospitality to your neighbors, the way that you're showing compassion to your vulnerable neighbors, the way that you're, you're, you're not running from things that are broken, the way that you're running to things that are broken and you're bringing healing and you're bringing hope. When people look at your life, what do they see? Does it cause them to respond? Or does it look like everybody else?
Because God is calling you and me into a life of remarkable compassion, a life of both joy and sacrifice, a life of cost, but a life of beauty and fun and adventure. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that um, each one of us, God, myself very much included in this, would see how you're calling us to to surrender to greater degrees um, our lives for you and on behalf of the vulnerable. God, help us, give us eyes to see the people around us. I thank you, God, for the examples of followers of Jesus throughout history that would walk those roads and they would listen to the cries, for the cries of children that they might bring them into their own homes. God, help us to hear the cries, not just of kids in foster care, but our neighbors who are in need and people in our workplaces who are, who are breaking down emotionally, marriages that are falling apart, people that are falling apart. God, I pray that you give us eyes and ears to hear and to see and that we would we would show compassion. We would enter into their suffering. And we would bring some healing, bring some stability, bring some hope. We love you. Thank you for the gift of being able to serve you and to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.